When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Drags, and it's Wednesday, July 10th, time for episode 306 of Patriot's Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com and follow us on Twitter at Patriot's CLNS. A big time shout out to Alex Barth, at Real Alex Barth, for filling in for me uh, last week as I, I enjoyed some R&R down on Cape Cod. This week, I'm welcoming back Evan Lazar of CLNSmedia.com, of course, covering the NFL and the Patriots for us. He does a terrific job. Follow him on Twitter, at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. How was your 4th of July, Evan? It was very good, but I did get stranded on Lake Winnipesaukee. What? Which is quite unfortunate. Uh, okay. Uh, we both have vacation stories to tell i want to hear yours first and i'm going to tell you about mine go i was on winnipesaukee with my family and my aunt and the engine the belt that steers the boat that controls when you turn the wheel the belt that pulls the motor back and forth decided it was time to snap off the oh, engine. oh boy yesterday and uh, as those people that know about winnipesaukee yes. it is a giant lake and we were on all, not not the complete opposite side of the lake from our marina, but I would say 75% of the way there. And we had to hire a towboat to come and tow us back across the lake, across the rough part of the lake. And it took about two hours for the towboat to tow us across the lake. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, at least you're safe and sound. This happened on Sunday? Yep. Wow. That that yep. really sucks. Well, um, I took a page out of Jimmy Garoppolo's book. No, my knees are fine, but my left shoulder. Remember what happened with Kiko Alonso a couple of years ago before uh, Jimmy got traded? It was that Sunday, and Jacoby Brissett came in. First game was in Arizona. Second game was the Miami Dolphin game. In that game, Kiko Alonso threw Jimmy Garoppolo or landed on him uh, on his shoulder. Well, uh, a youngster down on Cape Cod um, in Mashpee, as a matter of fact. And by the way, for those who listen to the uh, Bruins Beat pod, you've heard this already, so please forgive me. I'll make this quick. This youngster jumped out on his bicycle in front of my bike from behind a shrub and stared at me. And I'm like, okay. dude, what are you doing? And I had one of those moments where time stopped. I crashed into his uh, right wheel his front wheel, rather, his left wheel, because I didn't want to stop short because I would go ass over tea kettle, um, and I didn't want to break my neck. So uh, I would prefer the other uh, option. I didn't hit him. He was fine. But I uh, took a tumble, hurt the groin, and landed on the left shoulder, and uh, boy, it hurts. And that was the 
the uh, lasting memory of my vacation down on Cape Cod, but it was a sensational vacation. My daughter, Janie, saw all of this, and uh, no, she didn't make fun of me, but now I know how Jimmy Garoppolo felt a little bit, though the good news is, for me, I didn't have a 250-pound linebacker falling on top of me. That is very true. I mean, I think a lot of people, that kind of started the whole Jimmy thing, you know, is he ever going to stay healthy? That right. was kind of the game that started that whole thing because he was off to such a great start. I mean, especially that first – the game against Arizona was good given the circumstances and that he started on the road in prime time and beat a playoff team from the year before. But if you remember that first half of the Miami game, I think he had a perfect passer rating. He was, like, on fire in that game. He was looking like an absolute stud, and then he gets hurt, and, and you know, obviously we know the rest of the history. Yeah, and that was, of course, the, the game in Arizona, that comeback was, well, you know, maybe the Patriots have found um, their new starting quarterback who can handle the spotlight, because, of course, that game was opening weekend on a Sunday night in Arizona, and yep. uh, Jimmy Garoppolo looked terrific, and uh, as you said, we know the rest of the history. Okay, let's move on to real football, um, or at least the real football players. I want to start with something that always gets a lot of attention here in the month of July, and that is Madden. Madden 20 is coming out uh, very soon, and on Monday, uh, the Twitter site, The Checkdown, announced that there were four players, only four players with a 99 rating from Madden, uh, down from seven in uh, 2018. And if you want to go to the check down and check out uh, the outline of the players, you can do so there. But from our educated guests, because we were talking about this before we started to record, I would say the two quarterbacks would make a lot of sense. Three quarterbacks would make a lot of sense, right? That would be Pat Mahomes, Tom Brady, and Drew Brees, right? Yeah, and I, I actually have an amendment to this. And okay, I, fire I, away. I have a feeling that no quarterback was a 99 this year. Really? Uh, feeling. Do, do explain. So I have a feeling that no quarterback was a 99 this year from the Madden guys, which I think really opens up the conversation to, okay, then who the hell did get a 99? And I don't have any more information than the no quarterback. So it's wide open for everything else. But just kind of looking at it, I think we know for a fact that Aaron Donald is one of them at that point, right? I mean, I think that's not, you know, uh, it's got to be Aaron Donald's got to be one of them. The other guesses I think is really kind of interesting. I think Khalil Mack has a chance at being a 99. I wonder if Julio Jones might have a chance of being a 99. And I, the fourth one, I, I, I don't know, but my get, and this is total guess now, uh, is Mac, Donald, and Julio are three out of the four. I don't know who the fourth one is. Well, because you know everything, I'm sure you're right, and I'm like way <laughs> That's off. That's a total guess. But, uh, I can't imagine that, uh, Pat Mahomes coming off the season that he had, wouldn't be up there. And that combined with his youth, maybe do they factor in? You know a lot about this, Evan. Uh, you know, a lot of people associated yeah. with Madden 20. Uh, do they take into account the weapons that the player plays with? For instance, if the player that we're talking about is a quarterback, do they take into account who he might be throwing to? 
No, I don't think so. Not heavily. I, I think that for the most, you know, for the most part, it's done based off of traits, right? Like, cause they give out overall ratings, but then they also give out individual ratings for things like size, speed, strength, pass rush moves, run counters, all those kinds of things, right? And they, and then it all adds up to a rating, overall rating. So I don't know how much kind of, you know, input scheme or per, or personnel around those guys or coaching or whatever words you want to use goes into the overall rating. Because for a quarterback, I think it's mostly just arm strength, accuracy, decision-making. Those are kind of the big three. And then if you have an athletic quarterback like a Deshaun Watson or even Mahomes a little bit who can scramble, then that kind of gets played into it as well. But we've seen in the past – Brady be a 99 and we obviously know that he's not a scrambling quarterback. So I don't think that scrambling, I think it's different case by case, I guess. So for those who follow pro football focus, is it, do they use a lot of those metrics? So I don't think so. So the guys at PFF for a couple of years now, I know have been kind of petitioning to the Madden people at EA to let them take over the, the rankings so that the rankings would be then directly correlated to the PFF grades and where they have the PFF guys have guys graded. That's so Madden, fascinating to me. Yeah. And Madden has not taken them up on that offer as far as I know. And I think the biggest thing is for Madden is they're a little bit more into kind of like the combine measurables, size, speed, 40 times that whole thing is kind of how they base off a lot of the rookie rankings so that's why I I think that there's other receivers that maybe have a chance to be 99s like DeAndre Hopkins or Odell or Michael Thomas but I went with Julio because of his combination of superhuman size and speed you know there's not that many guys that are like that and in the past that's been a very Madden kind of thing. Speaking with CLNS media colleague covering the Patriots for the NFL and the NFL for CLNS. That would be Evan Lazar. Follow him on Twitter at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. Baseball season is in full swing here at the All-Star break, and placing a wager on baseball has never been more exciting than with BetOnline.ag. This week, all eyes after the All-Star game will be on the World Series rematch at Fenway Park as the National League leaders, the L.A. Dodgers, come to Boston to play the defending World Series champion Red Sox. And guess what? Because you are a loyal listener of Patriots Beat and CLNS Media, we are giving you an extra 50% added onto your sports betting bankroll. That is when you go to clnsmedia.com slash trags, T-R-A-G-S. And then use the promo code CLNS50. Best part is the bonus will be added onto your balance within seconds. Again, support our podcast by going to clnsmedia.com slash trags, T-R-A-G-S, and use the promo code CLNS50. A minimum deposit of $25 is required to qualify for the bonus, and you will receive a 50% bonus on your qualifying first deposit only. Also, please see BetOnline's general rules for additional terms and conditions regarding bonuses. Back with Evan Lazar of CLNS Media. I want to talk about fantasy football. We're in the middle of July, and, you know, 
certainly a lot of uh, fantasy experts are they never rest. It's like the NFL draft; they're always yeah. projecting into the regular season. Uh, we're just two weeks away, of course, from the opening of Patriots training camp. Just eleven days, believe it or not, from rookies reporting down at Gillette Stadium. But playing Patriots back to fantasy football, playing Patriots in the fantasy game has always been dicey, Evan. Because you really don't know the offensive game plan going into a game and how the Patriots might make in-game adjustments that completely throw a wrench into what might have seemed obvious at the start of the game, right? Yeah, so back in my NFL Network days, I was a researcher for them. I did a lot of fantasy research uh, for the, the guys over there. And the rule of thumb in the fantasy stronghold in NFL Network was to not touch a Patriots running back right. until later in the draft because you just don't know where Bill Belichick in what game, just like you said. What, what's the game plan every week? Who gets the rock? Who's going to get the carries? But Bill Belichick, he hates fantasy football, not literally, just you know by association, hates fantasy football in the respect that he – uh, does not want to help your fantasy team out by having a bell cow running back. So I think that that's kind of always been a rule of thumb is to wait on a lot of the Patriots running backs in particular. Well, or have somebody who is a bell cow uh, running back and then play a Patriot as a supplemental or a, a secondary, right? Yeah, you could do that, and I think that, you know, what we're going to talk about here with the running backs a little bit is having the receiving back, who obviously would be James White in this case, be one of your running backs that you start in your fantasy lineup. So James White versus the field in the Patriots' offensive backfield, who do you have? I would take James White. So right now I'm looking at the uh, ESPN's ADP average draft position rankings, and they have... Sony Michelle at 21, RB21, James White at RB24, and then Damian Harris all the way down at RB50. So they have Sony and James White neck and neck, and my guess is, is that is because they're thinking that Sony is going to probably get a lot of those goal line carries, which obviously lead to fantasy points on the touchdowns. I think that James White is a really kind of a sleeper in fantasy. Uh, this year he's at 56 overall ADP so he's like a fifth or a sixth round pick depending on how big your league is which isn't necessarily uh, that low in the draft but I do think that he's a guy that is going to see over 100 targets easily this year in the passing game and probably at least early on and, and maybe even all season long kind of be the guy the second guy in the in the food chain behind Julian Edelman. So I think that he's kind of a guy that I could see outperforming his ADP pretty easily. Okay, you mentioned ESPN. I'm going to mention uh, CBS Sports, and I'm going to read sure. right from their site. It will be tough to trust Tom Brady as a number one fantasy quarterback this season after the weapons he lost this offseason. Rob Gronkowski retired. Josh Gordon remains suspended. Chris Hogan's off to Carolina. Cordero Patterson with the Bears. They're all gone via free agency. Brady will have to rely on Julian Edelman, James White, both of whom you just mentioned, Nikhil Harry, Philip Dorsett, Demarius Thomas, Ben Watson. Okay, so tell me, Evan Lazar, how do you rate Tom Brady going into this season? I think that Tom Brady, listen, I, I and this has nothing to do with his actual play on the field, I think that Tom Brady is probably one of those quarterbacks this year where if you wait on a quarterback late in your draft, 
I always, there's two schools of thought, I think, with quarterbacks. You either pick one early, like an Aaron Rodgers or Pat Mahomes and somebody that's going to put up some serious points for you at that position, or you grab two guys late and you kind of just roll with the hot hand or roll with the matchup. So I could see Brady pairing Brady with like a guy like a Jared Goff or a Dak Prescott or even a Mitch Trubisky or even Philip Rivers, who's always kind of a late round pick in fantasy. And just rolling with the hot hand at that point. Obviously, we know if Brady gets it going, he's probably going to be your starting quarterback every single week. But I definitely agree with CBS in the fact, from a fantasy perspective, that counting on Brady to be your quarterback every single week without a backup plan is a little bit risky this year. What about Julian Edelman? Is What round would you take him in at, at the earliest? I, I mean, I'm buying all the Julian Edelman stock, I would say, in fantasy because he's the type of guy at this point, he's going to see 150 targets easily this year, I feel like, because there's just nobody else in this offense to throw the ball to. Now, he's right now has a very high ADP on ESPN and is looking like a third, or, uh, right around a third round pick, maybe a little bit sooner if you're in a deeper league. That's I think probably pretty fair for where he should go because he's going to be a guy that is going to have to produce in this offense if the offense is going to do what it wants and, and you know, win games and, and stuff like that. So I would say that Edelman is someone that I would invest a lot of draft capital in in fantasy, maybe not as your wide receiver one, but as a very good wide receiver two option. Understanding that this is game plan specific, and I understand uh the basis of the question I'm about to ask. But in general, would you say Rob Gronkowski's production is going to be split more heavily among another tight end coming in or, or a receiver, or will the Patriots run the ball more? I really don't think the Patriots are going to run the ball more than they did last year. I wrote about this actually about a month ago now, just kind of giving people a snapshot of the analytics and the stats behind being a run-heavy offense or a run-first offense. And just historically speaking, whether you want to admit it or not, teams that run the ball frequently and run the ball first score less. That's just the way that it kind of boils down and I really feel like last year they kind of hit a quota in terms of how much they could run the football and still be a top five top six scoring offense because with their heavy personnel on the field they didn't throw the ball all that well unless it was off of play action and even the numbers overall were not very good especially Tom Brady's numbers from under center and heavy personnel groupings and all that kind of stuff. So it's really a hindrance to the pass game to be a run heavy, uh, heavy offense in general in terms of personnel. So I would really be surprised to see it go any further in that direction unless they absolutely have to. And it's just a necessity thing. I think the guy that's really going to pick up a lot of Rob Gronkowski's production is Nikhil Harry. I mean, I really look at him and you see a big, strong receiver that can play multiple positions and move around the formation a little bit. Obviously, they're not going to put his hand in the ground and have him block in line like they did with Gronk. But I could definitely see the tight end position kind of being more of a blocking position with maybe some Ben Watson on third down and Nikhil Harry really being kind of the second engine of the offense with Julian Edelman. Something you just said there kind of sparked my thinking, and that is... If Rob Gronkowski, one of your best blocking 
lineman slash tight one of your best blockers in the run game is what I mean to say. If he's yeah. gone, don't you think the temptation is to put it in Brady's hand and let him pass a little bit more, even if they're quick hitters? Yeah, it's a good point because this is the types of things that you got to think about in fantasy, right? Like you got to think about how the season's going to go for that team and the pieces around them. And they're losing a key blocker in Gronk, and they're also losing left tackle Trent Brown, who I think was a little bit inconsistent in the run game, but certainly opened up some massive holes when he was on his game. Now, I think Isaiah wins a good run blocker. He's more athletic than Trent Brown in terms of getting into space and getting out in front of carries and stuff like that, but he's not the people mover that Trent Brown was when Trent Brown was on his game. So I think that they're losing a pretty significant amount of just mass and force in the running game. Now, their scheme is a very power-heavy scheme. They got Devlin. They're going to run the ball down people's throats regardless, I think, but I definitely think that Passing the ball at least as much as they did last year, if not more, is probably what's best for the offense long term, just looking at it statistically. If you go to more of a run heavy offense with the personnel that they have, I think that you could see not a huge decrease like losing 10 points a game or something like that, but losing three or four points a game. And then obviously we're going to hear all about how it was because of Rob Gronkowski's retirement. I like their defense. I think their defense could cause a lot of turnovers and uh and score. And yeah. I think uh that is obviously something that you know you're not going to pick defense second or third round. I get that or probably sometimes not even fourth round, but uh Patriots defense is legit and I think it's going to be uh a very productive one this year. Yeah, so the Patriots, the interesting thing about defense with fantasy, I've always been a proponent of streaming defenses, which means you kind of pick your defense based off of the opponent that week. Like if the Patriots are playing the Chiefs, then you, you really shouldn't start the Patriots defense against Patrick sure. Mahomes. But if the Patriots are playing the Bills or the Patriots are playing a team with a bad offense, then maybe they're a good start. But right now, the ESPN has them as the eighth-ranked defense uh, based off of their rankings. So they're looking at them right now as like a week one starting caliber defense. Absolutely. Which I think is definitely where they fit the bill. Maybe you start their defense most weeks on your team and you kind of sit them in the weeks where they have bad matchups. And that's where you go to the waiver wire or to uh, free agency to pick up a defense just for that one specific week. Like my example I used was if they play the, are playing the Chiefs, which they will. And, uh, you know, a couple of other teams, maybe their offenses end up being really high powered offenses that are on the Patriots schedule. So I, I would definitely look at the Patriots as a defense that you can draft on draft night and kind of put them as your pseudo starting defense. But I would definitely advocate for streaming overall. All right, we're all over the map here, st- talking with Evan Lazar of CLNSmedia.com. I, like I do too. That's This is the beauty of uh, kind of a potpourri July episode of Patriot Speed. Evan, follow Evan, by the way, uh, at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. Look, you're one of the most thorough reviewers of film out there. Terminology versus analysis. I want to get from you some background on what spurred you into breaking down film and how you learned all the terminology and then applied it to an analytics. Yeah. So I think that, you know, that's a good, good starting point is just that I always kind of think of my mission statement 
as not only using the film and using my eyes, but then backing up things that I see with analytics, because I think that analytics are not necessarily, shouldn't necessarily be the driving force of your analysis, but it should be a supplemental force. If you're going to go out and say that, you know, the Patriots were a bad play action passing team because your eye test tells you that the analytics are going to quickly correct you and be like, that's just not true. That's what you use analytics for. It's not necessarily something that I drive the conversation with, but it's definitely something that when I see something with my eyes, I go and I check the analytics, they back that up too. That's nice supplemental data there to use to back that up. But to answer your original question about how I got started into this, I played football growing up like everybody did, or a lot of people probably did that are football fans, and I was not very good. i tell you that right off the bat. But I was always very, very interested in the coaching and, and the scheming and all that kind of stuff. And I like to think that I was a very smart player, and even though I wasn't a very athletic player. And that was kind of when I started, you know, just listening to the things that the coaches were saying and telling the players and telling me and, and, and my friends and stuff like that growing up. And then when I got to college, I basically took all the free time that I had during the day in college. As you know, Trags did a lot of free time in college. Yes, there is. And I watched every single game every single week on Game Pass. Okay, that's the – I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to interrupt you right now. To me, that's the cultural advantage of your generation. You could Absolutely. You you can do that, and whereas I would have loved to have done that 30 years ago at Villanova, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. Absolutely. So I would, you know, sit there sometimes in class, I'm not going to lie, and I'd have my laptop open and I would watch all the entire slate of Sunday games. I would obviously have watched the Patriots game live, so I would rewatch the Patriots game first and I'd rattle through the entire league. And after a while, things do just kind of start to look similar in terms of the actual schematics and where people are moving and stuff like that. From there, I started to just read every single piece of football knowledge from people that were smarter than me, that knew more about scheming, their former players or coaches on Twitter or whoever the case may be, even other writers that I respected in their film analysis. And I just absorbed all of the information that I possibly could from reading things on the internet, reading books, all that kind of stuff on football scheme and football X's and O's. Then the final kind of piece of the puzzle was when I graduated college and I got some money working, I actually partaked in the scouting academy, which is I cannot vouch for those guys enough at the scouting academy. It is an incredible kind of, I believe it was eight or 10 week program where they run you through every single position and they basically show you the game through the lens of a scout. Now, this isn't going to teach you terminology. It's not going to teach you the difference between an outside zone and an inside zone. But it's going to teach you what scouts are looking for in terms of traits and skills from certain players as it pertains to the draft. So that definitely helped me kind of break down individual, what's this guy doing? Is he doing it right? Is he doing it wrong? What technique is he using? What move is he using? All those kind of stuff. That was the Scouting Academy, and it's a fantastic service, and anybody can do it. You can do it from anywhere. It's not like an in-person thing. You can uh, take the entire course on the computer online, and uh, that was kind of, in a nutshell, that's kind of where it all started. 
Well, you know why that's fascinating to me, Evan, is because when somebody looks at your breakdown online, the first question I would have is, how does this guy know so much? I mean, how how does an average layperson, or even a reporter for that matter, know that much about the terminology, about not only what happens on the field, but where that player might or should have probably been on that play if that player wasn't in a particular position. And to me, what you just said kind of legitimizes all of it. And, and the light goes on in my mind and go, and kind of the, the message is, Oh, so that's how he knows so much when he's breaking down film. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing too, we, as like you mentioned with game pass, we're, my generation is so lucky that we have the internet and we have so much great content on the internet from actual coaches, high school, college, even some pro coaches have stuff out there now where they explain a lot of these things. So, for example, you know, when I first started watching film, I really wanted to understand all of the blocking schemes, you know, inside zone, outside zone, counter, power, all these types of kind of catchphrases or names that you hear from teams so I literally googled you know the diff what is the difference between inside zone and outside zone and there sure enough is an article right there that tells you exactly you know an outside zone is when they step all the way to the sideline and inside zone they come off the ball at 45 degrees they tell you exactly what each thing is that's just amazing to me right I literally, and, and I think what's so cool about it is, is I self-taught myself by reading people on the internet explaining these things or watching YouTube videos or whatever the case may be. So you can really, you can self-teach to a degree, at least to my level of knowledge. I mean, I'm not saying you can self-teach everything to the point where you're going to be able to go out and coach your high school team, but you can self-teach yourself as much as you really want, as long as you put in the work and kind of really understand what the general principles are so that you can get the details. Okay, this is a loaded question. How do you watch film differently, you think, than Bill Belichick does? Oh, man. I mean, I would say that the first thing, and obviously this is just guessing, but the first thing that obviously would stand out to me is that I do not see the game as quickly or as crystal clear as Belichick does, of course, right? You know, there's little things that he sees that I don't think a lot of coaches see that are at the NFL level, let alone somebody like me. So I think the first thing that I would assume is that the speed in which he can break down a game and really understand what's going on, I'm sure is next level to just about anyone. I would say then the other thing is, is that he knows two things. First of all, he has the advantage of knowing, at least for his team, what the call was. So that helps a lot. Like, if he knows exactly what the call is on offense or defense, if he knows his defense is supposed to be running a cover three and the corners are supposed to be bailing and all that kind of details and all those things, that makes it instantly easier because he's going to be able to say, okay, this is where everybody should be, this is the technique they should be using, so on and so forth. But I also think the other thing is is that his knowledge of the techniques and of the details of the game is so far and beyond anything that I could comprehend that he has a leg up on every single play in just terms of this is why this guy did this or did that, or this is, you know, the 
D lineman shot the gap here because he saw based off of the set of the center or of the guard where his hand placement was or how low his butt was or whatever the case may be that he was pulling. That's something that I think is just fascinating that you can tell just by looking across the line of scrimmage at somebody's kind of footwork or hand placement or whatever the case may be, and you can know before the snap exactly what that player is going to do. That's the type of thing I, you know, I think is the best way I can summarize what Belichick probably sees that's above and beyond anything that I can see. Have you ever heard Belichick be, have you ever heard Belichick asked how long it takes for him to break down a game? I haven't, and that's like a question that I've often wanted to ask him. You just kind of have to like find the right time to ask him, right? Something like that. Um, but I definitely, it's definitely a question I'm going to try to get in this season, maybe during. If the I don't beat you to it, yeah, because it is fascinating. Like you know, and I think that that's something that he would share because it's not sharing any details or anything like that. Just what is your kind of tape review process after a game? How many times does he watch a game? I think one other thing is is that I don't know if this is true or not, but when I watch a game, I can watch the game once through and kind of get a general understanding of exactly what went on in the game. But then I would have to, to, in order to like write one of my film reviews about a specific player, you then sure. have to go rewatch the entire game, or at least all of that player's snaps, and watch him specifically, and not watch the entire thing around it as much, but just watch what his movements are. I would assume that Belichick doesn't have to do that. I think that he knows what every all 11 guys on his team, where they're all moving, and can kind of tell you exactly how he thinks that Kyle Van Noy played in that game without specifically watching the game to watch Kyle Van Noy. Yeah, but he would always say, uh, after the game, he will always tell you, I've got to watch the film. When you yeah. ask about a particular player, he's not going to give you an immediate uh, answer. Like, I mean, that's why it's it's foolhardy to even ask that question uh, win or lose after a game about a particular player because he hasn't seen the film. He hasn't seen the particular situation um, that a, a reporter might be asking about. It, sure, the player may have scored the touchdown, but he does. He's often said sometimes a player scores uh, when they shouldn't, and sometimes a player should have scored and they don't. And yeah. you know that's yeah. kind of the thing you always have to keep in mind when. Um, evaluating what Belichick says after a game. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm not trying to pretend at all that I have anywhere close to his football knowledge and uh, or any NFL coach for that matter. But I do think that nowadays in particular, there's so much information out there from people that are really, really smart that if you want to learn about the game and uh, in an X's and O's perspective and really learn it from, you know, get deeper into the schematics of the game further than a fan, just a casual fan would. We now have so much information at our fingertips that people just 20, 30 years ago or even less than that, 10 years ago, five years ago in some cases, just didn't have. And I think that's kind of the great thing about growing up in this era of the NFL. I'm really glad that you were rescued from Lake Winnipesaukee because I don't know what I would do as a colleague of yours without this information during a football season. I, I literally don't. I'm, I'm, you know, I appreciate that you let me talk your ear off during the game 
because it's much easier for me to then write my columns and write down my notes and stuff like that when you talk out loud about things. Absolutely. So our, our banter back and forth is just as much a, a thing for me as it is for you. And I often correct myself or find myself being wrong when I say it to you first and then realize when I watch the tape back that I didn't have that that right, and that's obviously good too. I cannot wait for August 22nd, correct? Yeah, we're almost, game. we're almost there. We're not that far off. I mean, training camp is two weeks uh, two weeks away. Um, That'll be the Panthers at Gillette if I'm, uh, I've got the schedule memorized. Yeah. Panthers yep. and, then, of uh, course, the Giants. I'm actually going to be in Detroit, too. Oh, uh, outstanding. For that week of joint practices in the game. So uh, we're getting going here. I mean, the offseason, I I was just talking to uh, our, our boss, John Zanis, today, and uh, – the off season went by really quickly. It really didn't feel like there was much of a lull. Uh, and, and it was, you know, not saying that that's a bad thing, but usually in years past, you know, there's some dead times of the NFL calendar. The NFL kept us guessing this year. I really feel like there was a lot of kind of news and notes coming out at all different times of the season this year. Well, I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast and thank our terrific guest and colleague, Evan Lazar, covering the Patriots for CLNS. You can and, of course, should be following him at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. For producer Michael Angi and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcasts or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.